If you'll take your Bibles and be opening them to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me just say how appreciative I am of the invitation to come and be with you in this series. Uh, it's the first time I've ever been able to be a part of one of these Wednesday night series, and, and the idea is really appealing. I, I really like the idea of what you are doing here, and I'm sure you all are encouraged by it. And I just want you to know that those like me who are asked to be a part of it, that you've encouraged me. Uh, the most exciting thing about being able to travel and do things like this uh, it's not that you get to hear me preach, but it's that I get to meet brethren in other places. I always get so encouraged by that. Uh, so thankful for, for y'all and the work that's being done here. Thankful for Roger and Jason. Um, it doesn't take very long to see that they're very busy about the work of the Lord, and I'm thankful for that. Um, so again, just thank you so much for being here tonight. I won't lie to you, uh, I met Jason and Roger at the building here a little bit earlier to get the PowerPoint stuff uh, worked out, and it's, it's a little intimidating for a boy from Arkansas. Uh, this, the size of the building and the, all the technology and all this stuff, it's, it's really kind of foreign to me. And when Bradley got home from the office uh, this afternoon, I told him, I'll wear the scrubs, you put on my clothes, and you preach the lesson. So, um, but um, let's, let's go ahead and begin. Uh, we're going to be looking at the topic of, by faith, let me stand. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I actually stretched it a little bit and brought in another phrase from the song. I, I looked at the titles to make sure I wasn't stepping on anybody's toes uh, or, or stepping on anybody's territory with this. But the idea of heaven's tableland is also kind of intriguing to me uh, in the song that we sing, By Faith Let Me Stand on Heaven's Tableland. And as we consider this topic tonight, by faith let me stand, I want to spend a little bit of time with that as well, because it's, it, it is kind of an interesting idea. But I'm so incredibly thankful to be here, and like anywhere that I could be, I know that I'm looking at an audience where everybody's different. We all share the same faith. There is that most precious blood of Jesus that unites us all, brings us into unity and and causes us to share in the bond of peace, and for that we are so incredibly thankful. But I also stand before you as one who knows that no matter which audience I stand before, I'm talking to a group of people made up of different people dealing with different things. There may be someone here tonight who is undergoing some type of persecution for your faith, as big or as little as that may be seem, but it's a struggle for you. How do I deal with it? There may be someone here who is struggling to share the gospel with a family member, and you don't know what to do or how to go about it. I can't say that I'm going to answer the specific question for you tonight, but as far as the general question, how do I deal with it, I think we can, we can answer it. There are parents here of young children who are struggling, trying to figure things out. I'm one of those, right? We have three small children, six, five, and ten months, and every day is a learning experience. We want to know that we're going to raise them right. We want to do the very best that we possibly can. How do we engage that? There are parents here of children who have known the Lord but have fallen away, and you're dealing with that. How do we deal with it? There are people here who are struggling to pay their bills. How do I deal with that? There are those here who are beyond wealthy, and your struggle is not so much how do I pay my bills, but rather 
How do I use my wealth in a God-honoring way? For some of you, you may be caught up in some sin, pornography, and you know you need to get past it, but the answer really isn't clear for you, and you haven't yet find, found your motivation that you need. So many different scenarios and so many different circumstances, but we're all asking the same question. Well, what's the answer? How do I stand? How do I overcome? How do I deal with this? How do I succeed? How do I get it right? I'm going to suggest to you the answer is the same for every single one. It's a simple question to answer, but often the struggle is just getting it right. By faith, let me stand is going to be what we're going to consider this evening. But I want you to turn with me, if you haven't already, to Ephesians chapter 2, because I, wanna, I want to build a foundation for the section when we're going to talk about faith by simply reminding us of something we already know, something that happened when we were converted, something when we obeyed the gospel that happened to us by means of our decision by faith, but also the grace and the mercy of God through Christ Jesus, because it, it was no, no small thing, but something that had life-altering consequences. And I think sometimes, at least I, speaking personally, we lose touch with what happened way back when, when we obeyed the gospel, when we made the good confession. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, we have this incredibly powerful text in which Paul writes to the Ephesian brethren, and he puts in stark contrast who they were with who they are. And if you look there in verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses. That's who you were. You were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. It's kind of interesting. He, he, paints, uh, he, he paints a very vivid picture of the condition we once were in, the condition the whole of the world outside of Christ is currently in. He's very clear to remind the Ephesian brethren, that's who you were. But the past tense is so incredibly important there, especially as you consider what happens in verse 4. The life-altering change, those two powerful words that come up in Scripture so often and always mark a dramatic change. That's who you were, verse 4. Two words, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk 
in them. What an incredibly powerful text. This is who you were. You were dead. You were lost. You had no hope in this world. But God entered the picture, and He came in as the Savior. And He gave you the way. He provided the means. But God came in, and through Christ Jesus, here's the phrase that I want you to to pay attention to for just a moment. Yes, it was His grace. Yes, He wiped our slate clean. Yes, He forgave us of our sins. He is the God of love and He is the God of mercy. But in verse 6, it says, He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That phrase, heavenly places, is a phrase that's going to to, to pop up four different times in Ephesians. In chapter 1, here in chapter 2, in chapter 3, and then again in the very last chapter, in chapter 6. You know, it's kind of interesting when you look at a passage like Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 12, we understand the similarity of the language here that's being used, the raising up with Christ Jesus or the raising up to the heavenly places. We learn when that happens in Colossians 2 and in verse 12, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. But it's this idea that yes, you've been forgiven, Yes, you've been made new, but there's an extent that though we have not experienced and will not, as long as we are in this life, experience the fullness of the heavenly places, there is an extent to which we reside there currently. And I believe it is by faith. I believe that's the idea. I believe that's what the author of this song had in mind, that by faith, having been raised up with Christ, Christ at the right hand of the throne of God, there is a sense in which by means of promise and by means of faith, we already hold heaven in our grasp. And I I think when you look at other passages throughout the New Testament in connection with at least the idea that we're citizens of, of heaven, we are to set our minds on the place to which we belong, which we'll look at those texts here in just a second. I believe it not only becomes very clear but I believe it becomes actually necessary that we come to see the down payment that God has placed on us as we long for the fullest expression of that heavenly place. Though we are in this world and have responsibilities within this world, it is so pivotal to believe with all our hearts what God says has happened has happened. There is an extent to which, as so long as I walk by faith, heaven is mine. Heaven is a promise. And based on the simple, fundamental reality that God is faithful and God who promised does not lie, the promise of heaven to the faithful, heaven is mine. It is a present glimpse of a reality that is sure to come. I kind of think of it this way. I kind of think of it as um, someone gives you a gift. Let's backtrack just a little bit. Let's just say, let's just say your birthday is coming up and, and there's this one thing that you want. or just one thing that you've just wanted for so long. You don't want anything else. Your, your mind is just completely dominated by one thing. And your, your, your birthday comes and, and the party has started. And out from the back bedroom, mom and dad walk with a present. And they set it on the table. And it's the perfect size. You know what's in the box. It's got the right shape. 
It's got the right size. You go over and you lift it and you shake it. It's got the right sound. It's got the right weight. You know exactly what it is. They give you the gift. They say it is yours. You just can't open it. You can't open it. And so you take it and you put it on your bedside table and it's yours. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's yours. It belongs to you. You know what it is. You just can't unwrap it yet. But because you know the anticipation, the joy and association with it is very, very real. I think that's the idea with us, is that God has given us a promise upon which we can plant our feet and rest the fullness of our confidence. And though we can't see it very clearly yet, we believe by faith that there's an extent to which we have been raised to a heavenly place already. In Philippians chapter 3, in verses 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. I apologize. I'm looking at the... I'm not looking at the slide... That's there. I'm looking at the slide to come. Okay, Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 20. Let me read that again. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. And I want you to keep reading in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord. My beloved, my citizenship, it's there already. Okay? Now, this is not the topic of our conversation for the night. Is it something I can forfeit? Absolutely. Okay, there's a direct connection to faith here. As a matter of fact, there's a direct contrast in this text between those who have their minds occupied on heavenly things and those who have their minds, verse 19, occupied with earthly things. There's a clear contrast that takes place. And I, as a believer, so many texts bear out the fact that I can have my mind occupied by spiritual things and then by neglect drift away from Him. Okay, it's not the topic for tonight, but, but I also want to throw that in there so I don't create any confusion the promise is there for the faithful. Heaven is yours. Which is probably why Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. What Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, because you have died in your life. It is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. The tableland that is in this song, if you actually go and look up the word tableland, it's, it's basically the idea, what we learned in school, of a plateau. Basically, it's a, it's a rise in the earth, and it's kind of got that flat, flat top on it. 
And obviously, really, the idea of this this song is that through Christ, we are being raised up to a heavenly plane or to a higher plane. So we're in this world, but at the same time, we see beyond the world. We've got this long-term vision. We've got this heavenly vision. Everything about us is different. We have this new life. We have this new name. We have a new king. We have a new ruler. We have new hopes and new promises. Everything is completely different. You and I know by experience that it can be quite difficult to live in a self-driven, passion-driven, sight-driven, pleasure-driven world that is always looking for ways to please themselves. And ironically, in their constant pursuit of just that, they only go to prove that every vessel of promise in this world, has holes in the bottom. The book of Ecclesiastes bears that out very clearly. And so it makes perfect sense that when God through the Holy Spirit, or when Paul through the Holy Spirit, is calling Christians to live a purposeful, meaningful, effective, fruitful, God-glorifying, God-honoring life, He says, I'm going to have to pick you up out of the muck and mire of the world. And I'm not going to take you out, but I'm going to at least raise you to a completely new level of thinking. I'm going to give you new direction. I I want you to see clearly. And that's exactly what happens when we are raised up to the heavenly plane. Have you ever climbed up to the top of a mountain and noticed how much clearer the big picture is? The perspective is completely different. Different. I'm going to show you something here uh, just in, in just a moment, and then I'm going to come back to, the, to these quotes. But this is a picture from when my wife and I, we got, to go to the, um, we got to go to California a couple of years back, and we got to see a lot of the really neat stuff. We saw Yosemite, we saw the Sequoias, and we got to drive up the, uh, up the West Coast and just do some really incredible things. And you, know, you see a picture like this, and of course it's, it's magnificent. I mean, there's beauty all around, but at the same time, you can almost see something very similar to this just about anywhere you go. What makes the biggest difference in how you look at this area? Well, it's, it's going to be the height. If you can be raised up to a completely different plane, suddenly the few five or six trees that are blocking your vision now become lost in the big picture, and you can see forever. That's really what happens in this life that makes this heavenly plane idea so incredibly powerful, is we get so distracted by what's right in front of us. We get so distracted by what's right in front of us, and because we're so distracted by the huge mountains, then these mountains become such great obstacles to us that we fail to consider the mountains in light of the big picture. And that's where faith is going to come in. That's where faith is going to make its biggest difference. We have been raised to newness of life, a realm of heavenly living and associations, and the devastation of the fallen world is really due to the fact that we have planted our feet on the temporary promises fed to us by the Father of lies. The glory of the heavenly world 
is that we are called to plant our feet on the promises of a faithful God. And that's what I simply want to suggest to you tonight. Standing by faith as those who occupy a heavenly plane is planting your feet on the promise of a faithful God, not looking back to the realm from which He lifted us. So coming back to kind of what we talked about earlier, maybe there's someone here who's struggling with their marriage. I don't know. I didn't ask any questions before I came. There could be someone staring at me right now who's struggling with your marriage, and you just, you just don't know how you're going to get through. What's going to be the answer for you? Well, it's, it's, it's the simple answer is going to be faith. That's what it's going to be. By faith, let me stand. What's going to be your downfall? Looking at the trees and being distracted by the temporary, right in front of you circumstances, and failing to zoom out by faith and see that there's a much bigger picture of what God's trying to accomplish in your life. Maybe there's someone here who, like I mentioned earlier, is caught up in some sin. Maybe you're, you're, you're struggling with pornography. Well, it's, it, it, it's, it's faith, and I, I know it's oversimplified to state it that way, but at the same time, it's because we discount the power of faith. As a matter of fact, Paul, Peter, through the Holy Spirit, says that God is guarding us through faith. God uses faith to protect us. There's a reason why Paul, by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6, tells us that we need to put on as the armor of God the shield of faith. Yeah, this... This temptation is really powerful for me right now, looking at this screen or, or in this environment, in this circumstance with this other person. But faith takes a step back so that they don't just see the tree before them, but the promises of God that surround them. And faith is able to walk away saying, like Joseph, how could I do this and sin against God? Or how could I do this and sin against my spouse? Or how could I do this and sin against my friend or a brother or a sister? How could I do this and, 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 and sin against the Holy Spirit that I have been given? The presence of God. The promise of the presence of, of, of God. How could I do this? What promises does God give me that if I cling to right now will help me to overcome? Maybe I'm struggling with some incredible trial, something heavy that's, that's weighing on me in my life. Faith is going to be the key to cause me to take a step back, to pause and to take a step back, to consider the promises of God instead of the problem that's just right in front of me. And as I consider the promises of God, I hear the promises of God playing on repeat in my mind because I have so written God's Word on my heart where He says, I love you, I care about you, I'm concerned for you. No temptation is overcome, except anyone except that which is common to man. I'm faithful, and I'm going to give you a way out of this, and I'm going to be your strength, I'm going to be right there with you. And on the back side of this, you're going to get another opportunity to overcome your trial. And you're going to get to practice overcoming a lot because I'm training and I'm teaching you and I'm building you up into something incredibly special. I'm building you into the image of my own precious son and I'm pushing you towards glory. I know it seems impossible to overcome in this moment with the temptation just before you, but let it sit and you will see the power of God on display.
By faith, let me stand. What are we talking about when we talk about faith and and living in connection with the heavenly plane that we've been called up to live on and to reside And when we talk about faith, there are three aspects of faith that I really think come to bear throughout the pages of Scripture. Number one is simply belief and acceptance of something as true. Now, we have to be very careful. We live in much in the context of a religious world that says, well, well, this is enough. That's that's not true. We have multiple examples of religious leaders, for example, who, who believed Christ but for fear of the Jews, refused to confess it. It did no good for them. Or even in James, when he writes of even the demons believe. No faith goes beyond that. It's also the idea of trust, a firm belief in the reliability, or the truth, or the ability of strength, or someone, uh, of someone or something, and it goes into the realm. James deals a lot with this on uh, compliance with an order, that of obedience, request, or law, or Submission to another's authority. I think we have to be careful with this idea to make sure that we present this accurately. Faith involves the belief and the trust and the obedience to such an extent that Hebrews writer in Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Whoever would please Him must believe that He exists, but also, second part of that, some of you may know it, that He rewards those who seek Him. It's not just this belief, this assent that happens in our minds, but it is, I believe God so confidently that I'm going to yield to Him because He is capable of leading me in the direction that I ought to go. You know, one of the most powerful examples of a man who walked by faith and was commended for his faith was the man Abraham. And just a few examples, this is what Scriptures have to say to us about Abraham. In Genesis 12, 1-4, Abraham went as the Lord had told him. In Genesis chapter 15 and in verse 6, he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans chapter 4 and in verse 9, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Why? What was, what, what, how, how was that displayed? It was because he obeyed the word of the Lord. He went where God told him to go. He did what God told him to do. In Romans chapter 4 and in verse 22, that is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. Or in Galatians 3, 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Or in James chapter 2 and in verses 23, in the context where it talks about faith without works being dead, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. It was a belief that moved into the realm of trust, that moved into the realm of submission, faithful submission. He gave all of who he was to God because he saw that God was faithful and his promises were firm. Now, I've had this up there. I, I, I neglected to wait to have it click on until later. This is, I'm just going to share this with you. And, and, and honestly, if you, if you don't remember anything else from this, and you probably won't, I'm not, I'm not one of those speakers. But remember this. This is the definition of faith that I came across one time, and it just, and it, and it just stuck with me. And anytime someone wants me to, to find faith, this is the definition I'm going to give because I feel like it really, really... Uh, accurately encapsulates the idea of biblical faith. And, and for the source, the Bible background commentary of the New Testament, InterVarsity Press. Bible-saving faith is actively staking one's life on the claims of God. 
It is a certainty sufficient to affect one's lifestyle. And so again, the oversimplified way that that I would talk about this is, are you struggling with some temptation and it's constant and you can't overcome it? Number one, are you feeding yourself with the promises of God? Do you know what God says about you in this circumstance and about Him in connection with you? Do you you, you even know what He says? Maybe you do. Question number two, do you believe what He says? Do you believe what He says, that that He is with you, that He will be your strength, that He's going to provide for you a way of escape, that it might not be easy, but it is very much possible and necessary? Do you believe what God says about the devastating nature of sin and what it does to the soul and how it offends God and affects one's being and affects the lives of people who are around Him? But also this, do you believe the promises of God when He says that if you are faithful, He knows it, and He's going to give you the crown of life. What about in your marriage? You say, well, I just just can't deal with this person anymore. All that is is a confession of a weak faith. That God is not capable of helping you through. That God at least is not capable of helping you be who God wants you to be. I know you can't control the other person. But by the grace of God and by faith, I know that I can stand as one who has been raised up to live on heaven's table land. I believe the promises of God. I believe the promises regarding reward and punishment. I believe the promises regarding God's presence and God's strength and my ability to overcome by His grace and by His mercy and by the strength that He provides me. And so no matter how difficult it may be, faith is the answer. Faith is always the answer. I want you to look in the context of Philippians chapter 3, which of course is, I did go, I went back and listened. I know David Banning dealt with this text extensively in the very first lesson in this series. In Philippians chapter 3, This section in which Paul talks about pressing on to this this higher ground idea, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, verse 12. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing that I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, let those who are mature think this way. Well, Paul, how is it that you can think this way? In this otherworldly, foreign way that in the eyes of the world just completely seems ridiculous. You're pressing on towards something that's not even visibly in front of you. It's like, it's like you're daydreaming. It's like you have this vision way afar off. Paul, what you're basing the whole of your life on is completely and absolutely 
impossible and irresponsible. Well, keep your finger there. I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 4 just very quickly because what we learn about Abraham is that he is rewarded just because he, in fact, thinks opposite of what I just explained, described to you. When it says of Abraham in Romans 4, 18 to 22, in hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, when he considered the barrenness of Saren's womb. No one belief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced God was able to do what he had promised. Do you notice the language there? He was fully convinced. No unbelief made him waver. Though in the eyes of the world, his circumstances were completely impossible. They were completely impossible. We can read that story. He was 100 years old. She was 90. She was barren. They were not able to have children. They were too old to have children. And yet, Abraham believed. It's incredible. That really becomes the key in the life of Paul as he says, I press forward toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He gives us some indicators here within this text of all that he believes in, and that's really what it comes down to. I'm pushing forward. I'm overcoming my obstacles. Chapter 4, I've learned in all situations to be content and plenty and hunger and abundance and need when I'm persecuted. In all of life's circumstances, I have learned to be content. Why, Paul? Why have you learned to be content? Why have you not thrown in the towel and given in to your thorn in the flesh? Why have you not thrown in the towel and just just denied Christ in order to avoid all the unnecessary pains that are attached to Him? The simple answer is because Paul stood by faith. Paul pressed onward and upward because Paul believed with all his heart from this text In chapter 3 and verses 7 and 8, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, or your version may say refused or dung. All of these earthly accomplishments, I count them as that in order that I might gain Christ. He says, There is nothing greater than knowing Christ. Maybe this is where your faith struggles. Because in a moment, the most important thing for me is to give in to this because of whatever satisfaction I feel from it. Or the satisfaction in a complicated relationship of just breaking off from the one with whom I'm having all my issues, and suddenly life is better. I I, I get it. Life, Life would certainly be much easier in that environment, but All we've done is decide what's most important. And what made Paul's life so incredibly effective and fruitful and faithful to such an extent, at the end he can say, I fought the fight, I finished my race, and there's laid up a crown for me in heaven, is the fact that he knew by faith, with unwavering confidence, there is nothing greater than knowing Christ. There is nothing greater than knowing Christ. Number two, 
In verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. He knew this, Jesus was raised from the dead. Why was that power for Paul? Because if it is true that Jesus was raised from the dead, Paul knows what that means. I too will be raised from the dead. These are the claims of God. These are the things that are sufficient to affect one's lifestyle, that give the believer incredible power. There is nothing greater than knowing Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe it with every ounce of my being. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, I also believe with every ounce of my being, I will be raised. And from verse 11, By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul makes it very clear. The greatest attainment in life is to come to the end of the life and to be granted life. Resurrection from the dead. There is nothing greater than that. And in verse 20 and 21, here was the heavenly plane direction that Paul found all of his motivation in. I belong to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Heaven is mine. My name is written there. My citizenship is there. I'm going to heaven. In this earth, I will have trouble, but I'm going to take heart because Jesus overcame the world and I can overcome the world too. By faith, Paul stood. And so let me encourage you, as we kind of wrap this up, there's a couple of things that that I want to suggest to you. When we have lost the dearest on earth to us and our hearts are broken, let me encourage you, stand by faith. Look to the promises of God. Believe the promises of God. Trust in the promises of God. When your finances are tight and you're having trouble making ends meet, stand by faith. When your marriage is crumbling, you aren't sure what the next step to take is, stand by faith. When you've struggled for years with infertility and long more than anything to be a mother or a father, by faith, stand. When addictions to drugs and alcohol or pornography or our phones has caught us in a trap and we can't see our way out, look to the promises of God and by faith you will overcome. When a child who we love with all our hearts and who we would give our own life for falls away from the Lord, by faith, stand. When we are ridiculed, persecuted, or Lord forbid the the government passes laws to restrict our worship in any way, by faith, let me stand. And at the end of our life, when death due lies cold on our brow, may we open our eyes and see the promised land as the faith we stood for all of our lives becomes our reality. No longer a glimpse and a promise, but the fullness, the fullness of what God has prepared for us. How are you going to grow in your faith to where in all of life's circumstances you can stand? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You're going to have to take the promises of God regularly into your heart You're going to have to let your mind be transformed by the 
promises of God. You're going to have to set your mind on the promises of God. You've got to get in His Word. He revealed it for a reason. God didn't speak to be ignored. God spoke in order to give life. And life eternal. Pray. Ask God to be with you and to increase your faith. Paul, when he's telling the people to put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, he tells them to be diligent in prayer. Prayer is necessary. Surround yourself with the influence of the faithful, those who are going to encourage you in these things. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise to become wise. Proverbs 27, 17, one man sharpens another. Surround yourself with the people who are going to influence you in the ways of faith. And then lastly, let me just encourage you to practice it. Come into the Word of God and you see a promise that is there, and you see how you could apply it to your life, but it's difficult. Try. Practice it. I'm going to trust God today. I'm going to trust God's way today. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to take this step of faith. And God, I'm going to trust that you're going to bless me for it. Malachi chapter 3. I'll close with this. Malachi chapter 1, they were giving vain sacrifices to God. He was not pleased. In Malachi chapter 3, he said, test me. Bring the best that you have to give and see if I don't bless you for it. If you want to grow in your faith, let me encourage you. Get into the source of faith, the Word of God. Ask the Lord to increase your faith. Surround yourself with people of faith and put faith to practice. Appreciate your time and attention tonight.